Hello, and welcome to How's the Water, our infrequent podcast about books, literature, and their very interesting authors. I am joined as ever by my co-host, Gary. How are you tonight? I'm reasonable, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I'm happy to be um, getting into this book. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a fun book, isn't it? Lots of, lots of laughs. It's uh, laughs and screams. Uh, uh, yeah, I was, I was holding my sides the whole time I was reading it. Uh-huh. Fun fact, when we read this book, there was one. Uh, it, there was something about this book that made me want to read it in the middle of the night, mm. which isn't cool but that's what what i was doing and it was so scary i found myself having issues sleeping really a few times Mm. okay yeah so this book got to me in a way but also i couldn't put it down no it sounds like it got under your skin quite a lot it did did. yeah we haven't told anybody what we're doing are we um should i the suspense yes please what are we doing Okay, we're doing a cult book from your country and from my favourite decade, the 90s. And that's Mark Z. Danielewski's debut novel, House of Leaves, which is also probably his best known work. When and how did you first hear about House of Leaves? As is typical with a lot of the books that we do on this podcast, you told me about this book. And I believe that discussion came about because we both read Infinite Jest. And we were wondering if we should do a book that was a little bit more postmodern and something like that and a little bit meatier than just and moving away from classic literature and into something a little bit more experimental and a little bit different. And you had said that you'd heard of this and you'd wanted to read it and that you'd heard very good things and that you'd wanted to read it for a long time as well. So I, as I always do, <laughs> I just said, sure. And that's how this happened, basically. So yeah, it might be more exciting to ask you uh, when and how you first heard about it. I think firstly, I kind of suggested it before I, before I go into how I first heard about it. I suggested it because I, I think we were talking about Infinite Jest, but it almost seemed too big and meaty to kind of go into at this point so I thought the House of Leaves might be a kind of mini version of it I I don't think that turned out to be true really in the end even though it's a bit convoluted and kind of strange it is easier than Infinite Jest to follow Uh, yeah that's certainly true and shorter (laughs) as well Mm. and yeah yeah um uh, yeah I first heard about it when around the time it was published, which I think was in the year 2000. So I said it was from the 90s, but I think I might have been wrong. I'm just looking at my copy now. Mm-hmm. I think it came out in 2000, uh, 2000, yeah. Uh, oh, so, then, the end of the favorite decade. Yes, yeah, depending on how you see time, I guess. <laughs> and I knew somebody at the time who picked it up and was reading it and was raving about it. I don't know if this person ever finished it, but the way they talked about it really intrigued me. And it, you know how you hear about things and then you just kind of file them away for future reference and then mm-hmm. quite often don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd always meant to come back to House of Leaves. And I think, um, you know, planning this episode really gave me and, and us an opportunity to do that. And I'm, I'm really happy I've read it now. Yeah. Um, what are your initial thoughts on it? Because I, holding this book in front of me now, I remember getting it and and it is 
Um, it looks bigger than it is really. So it's like 600 uh, odd pages and bigger than, it's like a foot tall. <laughs> it's pretty heavy. And I remember thinking before we'd read it, like, oh no, this is going to be such a slog. It's going to be hard. You open it and the, the pages, just looking at the pages, it looks confusing. Uh, some of yeah. it looks like a novel. Some of it is like completely blank pages with one word on yeah. them. Uh, some of them, the words are scrambled into like spirals and yeah, things. And there are reasons yeah. for that. And I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yes. Um, yeah. You have to rotate the page around because the words are upside down and everything. So I remember looking at that and going, ah, what if I... What have I agreed to read here? <laughs> and I didn't really know you had said it's a horror book. And yeah. that was all I knew. I knew nothing else about it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm beginning to feel like I owe you an apology. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, yeah. but it was, it was uh, unexpectedly great. So yeah. What did yes. you think about it? Yeah. Did it live up I... to your expectations. In some ways it did, yeah. I think the format of it I loved, like all the things that you talk about, the the way you have pages which are, yeah, only have one word on, or the way the text kind of spirals around to kind of echo the claustrophobia of the book. I think all oh, that's really clever and mm -hmm. really sort of interesting. I like the different narratives that you have, all the footnotes, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing, um, uh, are great. But at the same time, yeah, like you say, it's quite challenging at times. And it, it's not its not always the kind of book where uh, you feel like, okay, I've had a hard day at work. I'm just going to do some reading. Why don't I pick up House of Leaves for half an hour or an hour? It's a bit like, okay, it feels like a bit of a, a job, doesn't it, as you're reading it? But at mm -hmm. the same time, once you once you get going with it, it's, it's enjoyable and, and rewarding. I yeah. Think the, like the, the best books are. Yeah, completely agree. And I think another thing that makes it a bit challenging is the narrative of it, because it's split between a few different authors or a couple of different authors, really, yeah, which we'll talk about in just a yeah. bit, I guess. But that's something else. Um, and then on top of that, you have the footnotes and you also have to keep in mind like the nature of the story itself and make sure you've got every little part like compartmentalized and clear or else you'd go a bit crazy. But so, yeah, there were times when I think there's a, especially a section of the book, like right in the middle, mm -hmm. where it is like, what, 20 or 30 pages of, um, I don't even know how to explain this. I'm looking at it right now. It's a mix of footnotes and the story and author's notes. And there's like these weird geometric squares yeah, yeah, I really that like are yeah. like it's meant to be burned into the next page so the mirror version of that little square and all the words in it are mirrored on the other side of the page the next page yeah. and then that yeah, yeah, goes yeah. on for a while and I remember getting to that and also shit's like all turned around and at different angles so you have to read one part over like 30 pages and then go all the way back to the beginning and read the next part um, yeah. And I remember counting down the pages and just being like, oh, when is this part? <laughs> <Over. laughs> I like uh, that. that part. It's the kind of book, isn't it? When you're reading it and other people are there, they're like, oh, what's that you're reading? And then you sh show them and, uh -huh. you can, 
and <laughs> oh that looks interesting uh-huh. Ooh, yes yeah, yeah yeah but yeah it does attract attention i think when you're reading it because c- people can sort of see just from the page that weird things are going on and it's mm. not you know chapter one to chapter 20 page 100 to page 300 and you're just going through it in a linear way yeah but if you're into that kind of thing if you have if you like to be challenged in a way and you want to read something Mm. really different then i think this is this is a great one shall we move on to the biography of mark z or z as i would say um (laughs) danielewski yeah we should do i mean we should say z shouldn't we as he's an american Mark Z. We should should honor that. I will try my best to say Z. Marky D. Marky ZD. Right. MZD. MZD. MZD is in the house. Mark Z. Danielewski was born in New York in 1966 to a Polish avant-garde filmmaker, Tad Danielewski, and his wife, Priscilla. During Mark's childhood, the family moved around continuously because of his father's work. He'd lived in five countries by the age of 10 before a more settled period of studying at high school in Utah. Just pausing because can you imagine having to go to high school in Utah? All right. I don't know much about Utah. And now we've alienated all of our listeners from Utah. That's what what do we call people from Utah? Do they have a name? I don't know, actually. Utahians. Utans? No. (laughs) Sounds bad. (laughs) I don't know what they call themselves. And not much else is known about his early life. He started writing properly when discovering a typewriter during a visit to France in the mid-80s. That's very romantic sounding isn't it yes yeah everything about that sentence france typewriter (laughs) mid 80s is just intriguing isn't it yeah very much um he wrote an unpublished short story during this period called where tigers dance he graduated from yale with a degree in english literature in 1988 before moving to berkeley in 1989 where he studied latin and he went on to study film in la Danielewski then worked on a documentary about Jacques Derrida. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about him? About Derrida? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Derrida. I know a little bit, yeah. Um, I read a little bit when I was at university. I, I had to, yeah. When um, I was at uni, I remember we did a little bit of philosophy on my course, and I remember the tutor saying about Jacques Derrida, unusually for a philosopher, he's still alive. So, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I remember uh, he's not alive anymore, he's dead now. Um, I think his uh, main idea, if I'm not wrong, is about binaries and how we privilege one binary over the other. So, mm. if I say to you, high or low, which one is better? Or oh, high, okay, inside or outside. I guess outside. I would say inside. It's better to be inside on the inside of something than on the outside. Isn't oh, it? I suppose you're. I'm thinking about um, the pandemic and lockdown and how nice it is to be outside. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, outside, definitely. Yeah, Derrida, you were wrong. You didn't foresee uh, what it yeah. would do. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's the idea that what we do is we have pairs of things and then we privilege one above the other. Yeah, that makes sense. I think. Uh, yeah, right. but I may have got that completely wrong. So it's fine. Apolog- apologies to any Derrida fans out there. <laughs> Mark began working on House of Leaves after learning that his father was dying. It took 10 years to complete, during which time he worked as a tutor, a barista, and a plumber. He found an agent, Warren Frazier, 
who fell in love with the book, according to Danielewski. Anyway, so in fact, all of this biography that we've got is basically just stuff that he's told people. So who really knows how yeah. true actually everything is? But yeah, I'm quite skeptical about the the typewriter in France. That just seems too good to be true. It's very contrived that eventually. They found a publisher with the novel being released early in the year 2000. See, early in the year 2000, mm. not the 90s. No, definitely not. No, the no 90s. matter how much you want, yeah. it was the year 2000. Life was already getting worse by the time this book had come out. <laughs> it won the New York Public Library's Young Lion Fiction Award and has since garnered a strong cult readership. Okay, so now we're at the point in his life where House of Leaves comes out. So shall we leave our biography of Mark Z. Danielewski for a brief period and move on to the plot or plots of this esoteric, strange, but fascinating novel? Yes, and as we've talked about, this book has more than one plot. So we've opted to divide our plot summary into the two main narrative strands of the novel. So that is... Zampano's study of the Navidson record and the story of Johnny Truant, or rather Johnny Truant's story, as we'll yes. come to find out. Yes, very much so. Okay, so um, shall I get into the plot as best I can? Mm-hmm. So the novel is introduced by Johnny Truant, who works in a tattoo parlour. Truant is on the lookout for a new apartment and he learns from his friend Lude about uh, the apartment of Lude's recently deceased neighbour named Zampano, which is now vacant. Uh, It is in this flat that Truant finds the Navidson record, which is a study of a possibly fictional documentary also called the Navidson record. Hmm. I should say as well, um, we've got Johnny Truant and Lude. They live Mm. in Los Angeles. Yes. In the 90s, which is a sound, and they have a lot of very 90s adventures. <laughs> they do. I told you the 90s was best, I think. Yeah. We're going to see now, aren't we? You're yeah. always going to have a good time if your best friend is named Lude. You are. And, and you work in a 90s. tattoo farm. <laughs> in the 90s in LA. In LA. Oh, I want to go back. I want to go back there, you know. Okay. Um, The remainder of the novel is made up of various distinct narratives and narrator. These include uh, Zampano's study, Truant's footnotes and interjections, which often consist of his separate narrative detailing the effect that the Navison report has on him, transcripts of interviews, editor's notes, and a mass of appendices, which include poems by Zampano and the Whalestow letters, which were written by Truant's mother to him while she was institutionalized in the 80s, uh, a decade which is not as good as the 90s. <laughs> okay, so where do we start with this book? It's so strangely put together it's composed as we've said of many different parts including the main narrative journals this plethora of footnotes appendices uh, the le- with letters poems photos and even photos an index just there's a mass of paraphernalia almost you'd say that yeah. comprise this story and um, none of it is true that's no. another thing that's insane about this is that Danielewski, basically, he's writing about a guy who's reading about a book or he's he's he wrote a story about a guy who's reading a book about a fictional film. 
And the book that he's reading has footnotes and references to articles and journals and interviews and all these things that are so detailed that some of them made me go on Google and say like, that sounds like an interesting article. And then I realized that he, he faked it. He wrote it like it's, it's for the story. And this is like 600 pages of that. And when you actually think of the amount of work that it took him to in 10 years to actually do this, it's really just like incredible. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is amazing. I think I like that because I think it's parodying academia in many ways and how academia kind of heads down a kind of, what's the word, like a spiral that almost leads you nowhere. And I think the whole, one of the, interesting aspects of the novel is how it um, analyzes that whole industry it's probably the wrong word for it but mm. that whole area and I think I like that about it and also probably he's probably aware that it's going to be academically studied as a book by uh, people far more intelligent than you and I as well. <laughs> so yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot of that going on I don't think I've explained that very clearly or very well but it's a very uh, difficult thing to really to like get across to people I think unless they've they're looking at it with you and can see yes yeah definitely I think it we talked about the differences between it and infinite jest and I know we've not done an episode in infinite jest I don't know if we ever will but that's one thing it has in common I think uh, in infinite jest David Foster Wallace is kind of doing the same sort of parodying of academia and academic writing in mm. many ways I think mm-hmm. um, yeah I like what you said though I mean about Obviously, it's all fiction, but within the narrative, there's a lot of playing around with what's supposed to be fictional in the story. So you don't really know if the documentary is real in the story. So we know it's not real in our our world, if you yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. within the world of the story, it could also be a fiction as well. So you don't really know where those lines are. are no. Are. And yeah. he'll even he even does stuff like, oh, and Stephen King watched the documentary and said that it was brilliant. And it's like just all of these different things that I just yeah. don't yeah but no wonder it took him a decade to write it because there's so yeah. much and then the appendices at the end are brilliant too it's all these original poems and all of these letters and all of these fictional things that are taking place in the story with Johnny Truant and yeah that's yeah, yeah, it's great. great and also and there's no kind of order that you're supposed to read it I mean I certainly didn't read it cover to cover I think there was just one evening where I thought, oh, I'm just going to go through all the, le- all the letters now. I've read enough of it to know who Johnny Truant is. He's talked about his mother. So I'm going to go and just read all those letters. Mm. You know, that's, and that they were quite, that was quite a nice evening I had, like working my way through those. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. And then learning about that, you can go back into the, the main story and you know a little bit more then about what's happened. So yeah, there's not one way to read this book is kind of what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it's something that you could probably go back and read again and catch things the first time and little clues and little things the second time around, third time around. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if I will ever read it again, to be honest with you. <laughs> it might be but nice yeah, to yeah. read again one day, I think, yeah. after you've kind of forgotten some stuff um, in it. Mm. Yeah, I definitely, I might, I would actually do that. I think that's how much, that's how great it was. It was not a failure of a suggestion that you've, that you made to me. I think it was no. a, um, really good, unexpectedly good. good. Yeah, in spite of the sleepless nights. <laughs> All right, so I'll, I'll try and get back to the 
the plots as best I can. So firstly, uh, we're going to look at the Navidson record itself. So this is the text, if we need to remind you, discovered by Johnny Truant, written by Zampano, the blind old man who lived and died in uh, the flat now occupied by Johnny Truant. Okay, go on. Tell you more about those characters later. So Zampano's possibly fictional narrative mainly contends with the Navison family. So you don't really learn much about Zampano from his own story. You mainly get information about Zampano from Johnny Truant's footnotes and Johnny Truant's kind of own narrative going on. Mm -hmm. okay. All right. So the Navison family comprise uh, Will, a photojournalist, his wife, Karen Green, um, a familiar name for David Foster Wallace fans, who's a former model, and their two children, Chad and Daisy. The family have decided to settle down by moving into a new home in Virginia. The relationship between Will and Karen is strained because of the amount of travelling Will has been doing with his work. Buying uh, this house is an attempt to overcome this. As part of a documentary project, Will elects to record their kind of movement into the house and they're settling in there on film. Uh, the initial period in the home is relatively happy. However, having come back from a family trip, they discover a new closet space in their home, which has appeared from nowhere. Upon investigating this further, the family also find that the internal measurements of the house are larger than the external ones. At first, this difference is only an inch, but the inside of the house appears to continue getting bigger. Then an even more sinister change takes place. A hallway appears in a wall at the back of the house. Navison films the outside of the house to show where the hallway should be, but it isn't visible from the exterior. Navison's brother and an engineer friend, Billy Reston, who is consigned to a wheelchair, uh, come to assist with investigating the strange occurrences in the house. They begin to explore photograph and film inside the hallway. This hallway leads into a labyrinth-like structure. Firstly, they come across a large room, the anteroom, that leads to a great hall, including a spiral staircase, which appears to go down ceaselessly. There are also numerous featureless corridors. After some initial expeditions into the corridor, Will contacts an experienced explorer to undertake expeditions into them. He and his two men, Kirby Wax Hook and Jed Leader, carry out two short trips before making a third longer one. Okay, hope you're still with me, everybody. Okay. However, on this trip, Holloway quickly goes insane when they reach the bottom of the staircase and discover nothing but mm -hmm. more corridors. Because the staircase, it ends up be taking them like three days to get to the bottom yes, at one point. And then there's another yeah. day when they did it and it took them like 10 minutes. So, yeah, so the, the yeah. interior of this anteroom and everything within this space can, it seems to be stretching and then like an accordion coming back together yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So you have yeah. to be, just hope that you're at the point where everything's sort of come together and then everything's a lot closer together and quicker. Yes, that's true. Yeah, the, the layout of the house kind of alters and changes, doesn't it? And yeah, one of the main things is the staircase, yeah, yeah. which is either almost endless or uh, like a normal staircase. Yeah. Okay. okay, so as I said, Holloway quickly goes insane when they reach the bottom of the staircase and discover nothing but more corridors. He runs away from the two other men, 
returning, but by this time he believes that they are monsters and shoots at them, eventually killing Jed. His insanity overtakes him as he realizes what he has done. He becomes trapped in the house. He videos some last messages before finally committing suicide. Uh, these videos are later found by Will and they show that Holloway's corpse is either consumed by the house or some kind of monster. It's mm -hmm. kind of unclear. Okay? Very unclear, but I think throughout the documentary, there's all of this, this idea that there's something lurking and it, they don't know whether it's the darkness of the house itself that's closing in or if there's actually some kind of like demonic presence there that's not really ever found out. Yeah, I think. yeah. But so yeah. this entire time you've got that idea looming. And then these men who are uh, explorers <laughs> and, yes, and, and want to yeah. figure it out and, and everything. Um, what are you going to do with men? I tell you. Yep. I don't know. I don't know. I wish I had the, I wish I had the answer to that, but I don't. Okay. Uh, later in the narrative, the house attacks the family, killing Tom as he successfully saves the children. After this, the family leave the home with Will and Karen effectively separating. Will returns to the house and explores the tunnels alone on a bicycle. After hurting himself, he abandons his bike, climbing and crawling through the tunnels so this is one of the main places where the narrative kind of starts, not the narrative, sorry, the text on the page starts to really spiral, kind of echoing him, kind of crawling. And yeah, climbing. and every, if he's climbing up, the text kind of goes up. And then when he's descending, the text starts to go down. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's really, really claustrophobic. Um, he ends up perching on and eventually falling from a ledge. Isn't he at this point like reading House of Leaves as well? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And tearing and he, off the pages. He's yeah. tearing off the pages to burn for light with his matches. And he knows that the last match he has will be the last light that he has. And so he reads like the last page that he can of House of Leaves before he tears it out and burns it. And then he knows he will be in darkness for possibly forever. Very matter, very, very matter. He ends up uh, returning to the house without knowing how, uh, where Karen is waiting for him. And then they leave uh, and later on they reconcile. So we're not really sure if Karen saves him at this point. I don't think, unless I miss something. Well, that is in critical analysis uh, of the documentary that Johnny Truant wrote about in his, or maybe Zampano wrote about it, I think, in the mm -hmm. book. It's um, a lot of people seem to think that like true love is what brought, drew her back to the house because she went to go look for him. And mm -hmm. then she was living in the house waiting and the staircase, not the staircase, the hallway had disappeared. So it was like a normal house, but she was convinced that he was there and just trapped on the other side of this wall in the, in that zone, in that, uh, what it would it be another dimension. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And then eventually she just hears, she would hear him screaming. So she knew he was around and then he would just appeared one day and she dragged him out of the house. And then, and then that was that yeah. very dramatic. It is dramatic. Yeah. Lovely ending to that yeah. thing, but quite, yeah, quite possibly exciting. love, possibly just, that seems to be what um, all the scholars <laughs> written in the book seem to have uh, come to the conclusion of, but there's yeah a lot of debate about that, I guess. Yeah. All those fake scholars. Okay, would you like to read John Insurance's story while I try and get my breath back a little bit? Yes, I can. Thank you for doing that. 
Johnny's story takes place at the same time he's reading the Nevitson record. It is mainly developed in the form of his footnotes as he's reading. So he becomes obsessed with the narrative as he's putting it together, but it seems to bring him delusions and paranoia as well as possible hallucinations, which um, interferes with his work and his like so being social and going out with people and his best friend and things like that too. He recounts a series of sexual encounters and his sexual obsession with a stripper and dancer. Cause remember this is LA in the nineties. Yep. In um, the nineties. <laughs> yeah. He refers to her as Thumper who repeatedly visits the tattoo parlor where he works. He also reveals aspects of his childhood. So he lived with an abusive foster father, got into fights at school and his mother was institutionalized after trying to strangle him and more is revealed about their relationship in the Wellstow letters, which are we, as we said, appendicized at the end of the novel. And these are the letters from his mother to him after this event, after she's been institutionalized and they become more and more incoherent as they develop. They also contain secret messages too. Johnny eventually embarks on a journey to find the Navidson home in Virginia, where it, Zampano says it's meant to be. Well, everyone in the documentary or people, everybody that Zampano wrote about in the documentary, everything says like, it's exactly here in this place in Virginia. So he goes to look for it. He doesn't find it though, but ends up being beaten before encountering a band who've read his edited book and are playing songs based on it. And that's how it ends, is that yeah. they're reading House of Leaves it's crazy yeah, yeah so it's all it's all like a big sort of circle around i mean both kind of narratives i mean i know that the first one that we read doesn't really end with him reading house of leaves but it's pretty near the end and this narrative also ends with people reading house of leaves as well his story is um like i said the or like we said the navidson record is the bulk of it uh but quite a bit about johnny truman is revealed in those footnotes as well mm. it's not my favorite part if I'm honest, but it is interesting the way that you see him spiraling and the parts that kept me up at night that yeah. I told you about were some of the parts where he suddenly feels like he isn't alone and he feels claustrophobic and that the walls are closing in on him and how everything goes dark. Um, very stranger things, actually. Um, you know, the parts where like 11 is in the upside down and everything goes dark and she's in like standing in like the water yeah i do and she's all alone yeah, and there's a monster yeah. looking for her but she doesn't know where it is i wonder if they read house of leaves and they modeled it off of that because that's that's what i kept thinking about um and that that was very creepy stuff uh and then everything just snaps back to normal so uh yeah those were some eerie eerie parts mm -hmm. that i that i liked about it the whole thing was basically just like blair witch project meets narnia <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> Where there's nothing and there might be a monster chasing you. The, the space itself could be chasing you, but they're all video recording it. And also it's a little bit of like paranormal activity as well with like the, the cameras are so apparent. They're set up in the house mm. and they're motion yeah. sensor cameras. So anytime anything happens, the camera's supposed to flick on. And I wondered as well, when I was reading it, like, did the people who did paranormal activity read this book and get the the idea of it from this because it predates all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's a really strange thing to write about, but it's pretty good. 
Yes, yeah. I hadn't really got the the line, the witch in a wardrobe thing, so you just said it then with them going into the closet space. But yeah, that's true. It's just that's like true. every person's dream. When you were a kid, didn't you ever like look around in your house and think like, oh, maybe I'll find a secret door or maybe I'll find like a weird little space that only I'll yeah, know I about? <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I did. Yeah, I still think about that now. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. So I remember that when I was like a kid, like you want to be the one that finds something special that's mm-hmm. been forgotten about or lost. And then, you know, this book kind of satisfies that childish, like, ooh, and a random door appears. They don't seem com- they're creeped out in the book, but not as creeped out as you think you would be. I think they are. Don't, they don't, are, but they-, they don't leave. What would your reaction be if tomorrow you you and your family woke up and there was just a a random hallway somewhere in your house would you wouldn't you leave wouldn't you be like i'm out of here we're gone goodbye i don't know there's quite a lot of money tied up in in the house so (laughs) you are not telling me that you wouldn't be so weirded out that you just left because that's the first thing i just say like i don't care this is a this is not okay Mm-hmm. I know it's a book and it's a, you know, whatever. Yeah. But that's the, fir- the first thing, like there's all this debate. Karen's like, oh, I really don't want to be here. Oh, I'm going to my mother's right now. And then she never does. It wouldn't really work as a book, would it? If they just, went, oh. <laughs> if they <laughs> just gave up, I know. <laughs> Let's go. So we have a few things to sort of discuss, I think, um, about the book. We've covered quite a lot of ground. Um, well, we've covered like the layout of the text and I don't really think we need to talk about that anymore and the footnotes and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, there's a little bit about Will, Will Navison history, which is kind of modelled on a, a real person, you know, his his career as a photojournalist. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, he's meant to it, be like a Pulitzer Prize winning photojournalist yeah and that's like based, Kevin Carter yeah it's based on the story of Kevin Carter isn't it um did you know much about Kevin Carter no but that picture mm. that they've described as Will Navidson's Pulitzer Prize winning photo isn't that modeled off Kevin Carter's actual picture yeah it's just the same it's the same photo, the same right? photo but they've just yeah. said it's Will Navidson who took it and not Kevin Carter. yeah yeah so, that, so we, maybe we should explain so that's a photo of a it's a it's a really dark and uh, quite disturbing photo and it's of a i think a little girl in somalia if i'm not wrong and she's is she lying or is she sitting on the like crouching maybe on the ground i think and then there's a vulture just really close just looking at her waiting for her to die basically mm-hmm. um, yeah it's really bleak yeah it brought it kevin cuts carter the pulitzer prize but yeah he committed suicide partly i think partly as a result of the fame that the photo had brought to him i'm not sure about that but that could be wrong yeah well it it's mentioned a little bit in the book like the 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 guilt you feel of um like oh the vulture the real vulture is me i'm taking the yeah. photo and yeah. instead of intervening and helping and everything like the i've t- decided to take photos of this little girl's last minutes on this earth and it's brought me a lot of attention and a lot of fame and and um, yeah, what do you, what do you, what do you do with that? So they've talked about that. There was a really good quote in here, but I couldn't, I couldn't find it, but I sent it to my sister. It's about art and the, um, the fine line between artistic expression and capturing something in a very technical way. And then also like having the, just having the talent to 
capture the feeling as well and um, how all of these elements go into the perfect picture and and stuff like that um, yeah yeah the, the combination of sort of science and arts or technology and arts yeah it's it's very cool and you can tell that Danielewski he writes about documentaries and films and filmmaking and photography and things so much it's like when we talked about the periodic table mm. by Primo Levi how he has a background in something other than English literature. And so that makes it almost more interesting to read because he's not being a tourist in this subject. It's something that he knows intimately about and cares about. So that's what you get with this book as well. He's writing about documentary filmmaking and the photo arts and everything in a very intimate way. So that's really nice. Yeah, yeah. He's on the inside. All the inside, not the outside. Oh. That's where you want to be, the inside. I believe so. According yeah. to Derrida. Yes, cool. uh, I think so. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Also, I think as well that even though this is a very unusual or unconventional narrative, as we've said, it does use lots of the kind of familiar kind of tropes of horror stories, you know. It's, it is a very conventional idea, isn't it? Family having some trouble, so they buy a new home and oh what do you know they encounter lots of spooky goings on the house seems to be alive and doesn't like them being there and is trying to sort of kick them out and, you know you know you got the Amterville horror is it that, that is about that and I think mm -hmm. of a couple of other examples as well almost seems like at the beginning you don't really know like is it haunted is it something to do with aliens mm, like yeah. you kind of almost don't really know where it's going to go and um, it reminds me, quick segue, uh, as if I don't do that enough, into um, like, have, have you ever heard me talking about Meow Wolf? I don't believe so. Before? No. You heard of Meow Wolf? So that is in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and it's an art installation. I think it started there that is essentially built around the story of a family that goes missing. And in this big, um, it's in like a huge warehouse and inside of it, they've built an actual house, like a two-story house that you can walk around in. And it's this empty house. I mean, all the furniture is there and clothes are there and there's telephones and papers and there's a fireplace and appliances, but there's no family. And you're supposed to poke around the house and see like what happened to the family. And the idea is that they've been taken into another dimension. And if you look in the right places in the house, like you open up the refrigerator or you open up the washing machine or you go into a closet and push the clothes back. There's like a secret, you know, secret ways into the, the back of the art installation, which is this huge um, like other dimension basically. Nice. And that's apparently where they've been taken and you don't find them. They're not really there. And then it's got a lot of very interesting rooms that you can go in really cool for the performance artists um, people pretending to be all kinds of like otherworldly creatures and everything. And it's really, 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 really neat. And that's what this reading this book kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Yeah, that does sound very similar. And it sounds fascinating. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think they've expanded into like Denver and Las Vegas, or if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's really, really successful. I've been twice. It's really fun. Okay. Yeah. If I'm ever in Santa Fe, then maybe I'll uh, pay it a little visit. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. It's great for families and for just everybody, really. Okay. That's uh, 
on my uh, bucket list, I think. Awesome. Okay, shall we read the rest of his bio? Yes. Um, would you like me to do this as you did the other parts? Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So following the release of House of Leaves, uh, Daniel Levski has toured and collaborated with his sister Poe, who is a singer. Her album Haunted features her brother reading extracts from House of Leaves. Uh, the two spent time as an opening act on Depeche Mode's Tour of America in 2001. Very random. <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, he published The Whale Stow Letters, a companion piece to House of Leaves in October 2000. And these are the letters, as we've said, between Johnny Trune and his mother, Pelafina H. Livre, I think. The bulk of these letters are featured in the second edition of House of Leaves, which was the version uh, we both read, mm -hmm. I believe. In 2005, he published a novella entitled The 50-Year Sword, and in 2006, Only Revolutions uh, came out. He then embarked on a planned 27-volume story called The Familiar. However, he had to abandon this after only five volumes, owing to a lack of readership. Okay. <laughs> That's oh, that's the... horrible thing to laugh about. <laughs> it is a bit like, come on, like you're, you've come out and said, like, I'm going to write something that's going to be so good. It's going to need 27 volumes. Yeah. And yeah, then you have to give up on it. Yeah. Yeah. Because nobody's reading it. I think you have to be very confident in yourself to want to think that you're going to, you're no J.D. Salinger to like, you know, <laughs> this isn't like the Glass family. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's yeah, just, yeah, I don't know. That being said, I hope I know we're small potatoes and everything, but I hope Daniel Lipsky never listens to us do this episode because I know he does have an online Instagram presence and I follow him on Instagram. So that's how I know that. And I, uh, I'm, I don't know if he would have much of a sense of humor about the, the joke <laughs> that we're making. <laughs> let's, let's wrap it up then with some, with a question. Okay. Let's do that. Okay. Um, all right. So I do have a question for you kind of attached to what I was trying to say before about mm -hmm. horror films, mm -hmm. but would you buy a fantastic house or mansion at a really low price? If you knew something awful had happened there? No, no, I would not. Nope. Not. No. Mm-mm. I've seen enough TV, watched enough movies, read enough books to know that that's never worth it. Nope. What about you? Uh, yeah, possibly I would do. I, if the price were low enough and the house was big enough, I would <laughs> probably live anywhere. I think mm -mm. it's just a oh. home. It's just so you would buy. Who was a the hid that put people under his house? Was it John Wayne Gacy? Uh, well, we have our own version of him in the UK. We have Fred West. Uh, oh, that's right. Uh, you had Fred and Rosemary West. Yeah, no, actually, I've changed my mind. No, I would not want to live in Fred West's house. Yeah, see? Mm -mm. Yeah. So, nope, you uh, don't need that bad juju in your no, life. No, you don't. No, just knowing, you know, what had happened there. It, no, it would be awful. Yeah, when you really think about it, it's not. Yeah, it sounds cool. I think a lot that's something a lot of people would say yes to because people like to think they're hard. Mm. But uh, no, not worth it. All right. So are you going to read a final quote from House of Leaves to finish us off? 
I am, and I'm going to read from the introduction. So this is Johnny Truant leading us into the book. So I'm hoping that by doing this, it will encourage some of our lovely listeners to maybe uh, consider reading House of Leaves. So I'm going to try to do this in as dramatic a way as my dry northern voice will let me. Here we go. Introduction. I still get nightmares. In fact, I get them so often I should be used to them by now. I'm not. No one ever really gets used to nightmares. For a while there, I tried every pill imaginable, anything to curb the fear. Exedrin, PMs, melatonin, L-triophotophan, Valium, Vicodin, quite a few members of the Barbital family, a pretty extensive list, frequently mixed, often matched with shots of bourbon, a few lung-rasping bong hits, sometimes even the vaporous confidence trip of cocaine. None of it helped. I think it's pretty safe to assume there's no lab sophisticated enough yet to synthesize the kind of chemicals I need. A noble prize to the one who invents that puppy. I'm so tired. Sleep's been stalking me for too long to remember. Inevitable, I suppose. Sadly, though, I'm not looking forward to the prospect. I say sadly because there was a time when I actually enjoyed sleeping. In fact, I slept all the time. That was before my friend, Lude, woke me up at three in the morning and asked me to come over to his place. Who knows, if I hadn't heard the phone ring, would everything be different now? I think about that a lot. Oh, so dramatic. I hope I managed to encapsulate just a, a fraction of the drama that, that is in those words. Oh, I think you did. I'll put some dramatic music in there too. Okay. Ominous yeah, do, and spooky. Yeah, do that. I'll do, I'll do some magic with it. That'll okay. be great. <laughs> Sounds great. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. All right. And on that note, I think we should leave that there. So thank you for listening. We hope you pick this book up soon and let us know how you feel about it. How's the water podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, please do. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to know that if we've encouraged you to, to read this book or discouraged you from reading it, I'd, li I'd like to, I'd like to know that as well. All right. So yes, I will say goodbye at this point. So thank you everybody and goodbye. See you next time.